Please take your Bible and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 6 through 8, and then we're going to glance down the page and read verses 16 through 18. Of course, the Apostle Paul is the author of these words, and they're very intimate words that he's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. We have the privilege of eavesdropping on this conversation almost 2,000 years after it occurred. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 4 rather, verse 6, reads this way in the New American Standard Bible. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now look at verse 16. And my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, and will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. How often do you use the word fortitude in conversation? I was thinking about that in preparation for this moment, and I cannot remember the last time I used that word fortitude. And the times which I have used it had to do with another word which prefixed the word fortitude, intestinal, intestinal fortitude. I don't know which coach introduced me to that term, but it was one of my coaches when I was playing sports in school. And it's just a nice way of saying guts is what it really boils down to. Fortitude includes courage, but it's not simply courage. If we were to give a formula for the word fortitude, it would be fortitude equals courage plus endurance. History is long on momentary expressions of great bravery, but it is short of examples of real fortitude. The Apostle Paul gives us a splendid picture of what fortitude is. He speaks about it in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He describes some of the things which he endured for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, five times I was given 39 lashes, and it was thought that if a man took 40 lashes... He would die. You see the severity of those whippings the Apostle Paul experienced for following Jesus Christ. Three times he said, I was beaten with rods. Three times I was shipwrecked. One time I was stoned and left for dead. He talked about the various venues in which he experienced danger. He experienced danger all over the world as he knew it. As he traveled the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
in an effort to spread the good news of Jesus. He was imprisoned, we know, at least four times. There possibly could be other times. Arrested many times. And this passage that we're looking at this morning was written by Paul in his last prison cell. He was in Rome. And he was about to lose his life. And we see what he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I like the word race. It's the same word in the original language, whether it's translated course or race. He was talking about a race. He was using athletic metaphors when he was talking about fighting and running the race. And he said, I have kept the faith. You know, I'm sure that the Apostle Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That was true for the Corinthians, to whom he first wrote those words, but it would be true for you and me today. The Holy Spirit knew that when Paul wrote that to the Corinthians, you and I would be sitting or standing where we are right now, and we would hear those words, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul was a man who was well acquainted with fortitude. His life was a life of fortitude, courage plus endurance. For over 30 years, this man put his life on the line for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he did not regret one instance when his life was put in danger. Now, that does not mean that the Apostle Paul did not experience fear along the way. Here again, I would refer to the book of 1 Corinthians. When he was writing to them, he said, You know what I was like when I came to you. I came to you with fear and trembling. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul standing in front of a group of people, probably smaller than this, maybe larger, I don't know, and as he comes with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which he knew to be the power of God, which is a salva- for the salvation of everyone who believes, he was shaking and trembling. In fact, in the book of Acts, when this period of time when Paul went to Corinth is described by Luke in the book of Acts, Luke describes how Paul was ready to cut and run. He was ready to leave Corinth because the pressure he experienced there was so great. It was highly fear-producing. But Jesus came to him in the night in a vision. And he told him, keep on speaking, don't leave, for I have many people in this city. When he heard the voice of Jesus, his heart was strengthened and he was able to go forward. Fear is something that is common to the human experience, but especially to those who follow Jesus Christ, fear is part of the package. And there's good reason for that. We have an adversary, the devil, who is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He roars and he intimidates. He is a bully, but he is a beaten bully. He has been defeated by Jesus in Jesus' death and Jesus Christ's resurrection. And need I remind you this morning that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, that should hearten you today. But the good news for us is that we, like the Apostle Paul, can be men and women of fortitude. Paul gives us this example, really, in the statement that we're focusing on this morning, verse 7. 
Here are two things I see in Paul which gives, give us an example of how to have fortitude. The first of those is Paul was a fighter. What does he say? I have fought the fight. I have stood in the ring, as it were, and fought this fight. Now, he did not fight with his fists, though. With what did the Apostle Paul fight this fight? He fought it with faith. I have fought the fight. I have kept the faith. And it's for good reason that we who fight this fight like Paul did in the spiritual arena, when we go toe-to-toe with our enemy, and that enemy, of course, in the bigger picture, is none other than Satan himself. And there are people, perhaps even in this room this morning, who would say, well, that whole satanic thing, that whole Satan deal, that whole devil, that personal devil situation, is just something that was for the people in Jesus' day and in Paul's day, because they lived in a different age. We're moderns. We don't believe in that sort of thing. Well, the reality is Jesus believed in it. And if it's good for Christ, I think it would behoove you and me to take to heart what the Scripture says about the reality of Satan. And Paul himself, a man of great learning, he too imitated Christ in his perception of the devil. The devil is one who went the route of what we would call conventional methods of warfare. After all, he was a liar. The father of lies is the way Jesus describes him. He was a murderer from the beginning. He was a slanderer. The name devil, diabolos, means slanderer. He was a destroyer, a bad and Apollyon, names given to Satan. He's a destroyer. He is a manipulator. He wants to get control of our lives. He wants our allegiance. And he is the ruler of this world, Jesus describes him. The whole world lies under the control of the evil one. The world system. And he is intent upon manipulating people. In this battle, which is not against flesh and blood, Paul says in Ephesians, but against the rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world, this battle is waged differently. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, We do not wage war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not worldly. Remember, who's in control of the world? We do not battle the way the, way the world battles. We do it differently. And the key aspect of that battling is faith. That's what Paul was given. That's what you and I have been given. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the Word of Christ. We hear the Word of the Lord. Just like Paul was given great courage and was able to translate that into fortitude when Christ came to him that night in Corinth and many other times, many, many other times that are not even recorded, he listened to Jesus. And Jesus was the one who gave him the fortitude to go forward in this fight. What are we to do in relationship to the efforts of Satan to bully and intimidate us? Well, quite simply, this enemy of ours is one who needs to be stood up to. The Scripture says in James chapter 4, Submit yourselves therefore to God. 
That's another way of saying be people of faith, regardless of where you find yourselves in terms of some sort of conflict. Be a man and a woman of faith. And if we're people of faith, we're submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say that as James in that passage in James chapter 4, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And the word which is translated resist literally means stand up against the devil. I'm sure you're familiar with the various pieces of the armor of God that we are told to put on recorded in the book of Ephesians. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the sword of the Spirit, the helmet of salvation. These are aspects of the equipment that God gives us. And we know, notice that all of those have to do with protecting the front of a Roman soldier. A warrior faces the enemy. And that's what we are to do, not to run away from Satan when he intimidates us, but to face him. Paul's enemy in the fight, Satan and his minions. Our enemy in the fight, same as Paul's, Satan and his minions. Paul's energy for this prolonged fight, have you ever boxed before? Have any of you beside me boxed? Now, I didn't box very long. But I have participated in a lot of different sporting activities in my life and competitively. And boxing is undoubtedly the most tiring three minutes imaginable when you are in the ring with someone trying to fight that person. It's tiring. We need extraordinary energy spiritually if we're going to be victorious in our battle against the enemy and against his minions. We see in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 where the scripture says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We do not have the power to win this battle on our own. We have to depend exclusively upon the Lord to win the battle. In Isaiah chapter 40 The great prophet says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the maker of the ends of the earth. He does not faint and He does not grow weary. Even youth, the writer goes on to say in the book of Isaiah, even youth grow faint and become weary. Young men fall exhausted. But those who wait... For the Lord, those who put their faith in the Lord will overcome. They will mount up with wings and soar like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Do you understand that the energy that's necessary for us to win this fight, as Paul did, is not basic to who we are as human beings? It's in us because... The one who is the source of the energy indwells us. Jesus Christ, by His Spirit, lives in us. That's why Paul could say, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. He knew the one upon whom he needed to lean. The prophet Isaiah makes a statement 
in the book of Isaiah. I'm sorry I cannot cite the reference. I just read it recently. It's in the first half of the book of Isaiah. And this came to my mind even as I was speaking. And the writer says, all we have accomplished, you have done. If you and I accomplish anything that will last forever, guess who did it? He did it in us and through us. As we have depended upon Him, He's the one who's given us what was necessary to win this battle in which we find ourselves, to live the life of following Christ. One last word of encouragement from the Bible as far as the energy for this battle is concerned is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 3, where the Bible says, God is faithful. He will protect you and strengthen you against the evil one. Isn't that exciting? exciting to think about how the Lord is with us And he does not get tired. He does not grow weary. Paul's equipment for the fight. Well, just one more reference to that. I've given the overview. And some of you who know that listing of equipment know I left one out. What was it? Does anybody remember? The shield of faith. Right. I left it out on purpose because I wanted to talk about this part of the armor of God, which if I may say so, is the most important, I think, because it's what God has given us to win this fight. Remember, Paul did not fight with his fists. What did he fight with? He fought with his faith. And this reminds us of what Jesus says. Jesus says, have faith because if you have faith, you can move mountains with your faith. And I believe... God can do anything. He could move that mountain out there, that whole range. He could just pick it up and throw it farther than we could see. He could do that. He's God. But more than likely, the emphasis that Jesus was making is when you have some fight you find yourself in. And I'm not talking about necessarily with a person. Maybe it's with yourself. You're just in a position where you know there's a struggle going on, and it's a spiritual battle. It's not against flesh and blood. The way you overcome that is by faith. When Zechariah was spoken to by the Lord to speak to Zerubbabel, who was the leader of Judah, who had a big task in front of him, Zerubbabel was the equivalent of the king of Israel. There was no king then, but he was the governor of Judah and Jerusalem. And he came there and he saw the remains of the temple And it was just rubble. And as he looked at it, it must have just disheartened him tremendously. He was thinking, how can I do this? And then the word of the Lord came to him through the prophet Zechariah. He says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So who is it that gives the necessary power to accomplish the impossible? Well, it is none other than the Spirit of God Himself. The Lord's the one who gives us the strength and He equips us as we exercise faith in Him. Paul was a fighter. That's a picture of a person of fortitude. But here's the other thing we see, and this is clear. This is not hard to figure out when we look at this verse. He was also a finisher. There are lots of people who fight a good fight to a certain point. 
But then they quit too early. Perhaps you've been in that position yourself. I would imagine there's more than one person present today who has quit. You've quit on the Lord, maybe, because you believe He quit on you. Or you're just out of gas. Your emotions are spent. You just don't have any faith left. You're gagging spiritually and emotionally. You're hurting deeply because of what's going on. And you find yourself over in a ditch that's not a ditch of faith. It's a ditch of failure spiritually. Well, the good news is, our God, according to Paul himself, said this. In 2 Corinthians 7, he said, God who comforts... Now, catch this word. Listen carefully. The depressed comforted us when Titus came to see us. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul, depressed... We sometimes associate depression, if not often, in the church especially, as something that is a sign of sin. And sometimes there is an association. But we're in a battle, and men and women in this room who have actually seen physical combat, you had fatigue, didn't you? Not just physical fatigue, it's depleting. We see so many soldiers coming back from war. And they are desperately hurting emotionally when they come back from war because of the nature of war. Our war is real too, in some ways even more so than that kind of physical war. And it stands to reason that we find ourselves in such a position. Second Corinthians is a great book to read, period. But especially as it relates to this issue of feeling down and not useful anymore. And you've given up. And you feel like the Lord can never use me again. But think again. Paul says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Do you know God wants to resurrect your dead faith today? Do you know that? And He will, if you respond properly to Him. And you listen to what He has to say about your life and about His relationship to you. And He can raise you from the dead today. He can resurrect your faith. And He probably brought somebody here today just to hear that part of this message. Paul was a man who finished And he finished for two reasons. He forgot what was behind. The problem with most of us is we live way back yonder in the past. I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had in the course of many, many years of being a pastor with people who were plagued by something which happened 10, 20 years ago, which they had confessed and repented of, but the devil came against them. And the Bible says about Satan, he is the accuser of the brothers. He accuses us day and night. But we need to listen to what God says. God says, their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. He says, 
I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sakes. I remember your sin no more. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you, provided you have confessed them and renounced them. They're gone. I have thrown them into the depths of the sea, is what the Lord says. Not to any way minimize sin. Sin is against God. God does not take sin lightly. But understand, if you know Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ covers your sin. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to purify us from how much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. So we need to forget about the past. The 1930 Rose Bowl was played between the University of Southern Cal and Georgia Tech University. Near the end of the first half, one of the leading players on the USC team, Roy Regals, somehow or another, recovered a fumble and got turned around and he began running in the wrong direction. You've heard this story perhaps. And he was a fast runner. He was running and fortunately one of his teammates caught him from behind and tackled him before he got any closer to Georgia Tech's goal. Georgia Tech got the ball back and scored at halftime. And when the USC team went into the locker room, you can imagine that Roy Regals was downcast. In fact, he was inconsolable. He was weeping. Here's a grown man weeping in front of his coach and his teammates. And the coach was talking about the game plan for the second half. And then his last words before he dismissed the team to go back out and play the second half were these. He said, the same 11 who started the game in the first half will start in the second half. That would include Roy Regals. Every player left the locker room, went back outside to warm up for the kickoff in the second half except one, Roy Regals. And he continued to just sob. He was heartbroken. And the coach said, Roy, didn't you hear what I said? He said, yes, coach, but I've ruined you. I've ruined USC. I've ruined myself. How can I go back out and face that throng of people? And then the coach said this. He said, Roy, we have another half of football to play. Forgetting what is behind. Did the, the Apostle Paul have some stuff in his past that would have disqualified him under ordinary circumstances for the mission that he was given? Why, of course. He was at the stoning of Stephen, holding Stephen's garments. He was consenting to that great saint's murder. He was part of that group of people who was determined to do away with the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, he describes himself in the book of 1 Timothy as being a person who was dragging people off to prison and threatening people and even having a hand in murdering people himself, all in the name of God, of course. He would be disqualified. Many of you are familiar with the Rocky movie series, Really, the only one I really like, well, maybe there's one or two others I like, but the one I like was the first one. 
Yo, Adrian, right? It's awesome. Just unbelievable. And you'll remember the scene when he's fighting Apollo Creed and he's knocked down on the canvas and he's just, he just looks like a piece of hamburger meat. He's been beaten up so badly. And you remember who played his manager? Burgess Meredith, right? And you remember his manager's name? Mick. Remember Mick? And Mick gets close to him. And the count is going down. He looks like he's down for the count for the last time. And he says to Rocky, he says, Get up, you bum. Mick loves you. Remember that? And what did Rocky do? He got up. Now, I don't think the Lord's going to say to you and me when we fall away from Him in terms of our losing heart. He's not going to say to us, Get up, you bum. He's going to say, get up, my child. I love you. And your failure is the stuff out of which I'm going to win a victory. Because the only kind of person I can use is a person who has been humbled and recognizes his or her own inability to do anything apart from me. You're ready, my child. Just like Peter. Remember, Peter denied the Lord three times after the Lord had told him he would. And what did he say? I'm not going to do it. The rest of these bums might do it. I'm not going to deny you, Lord. And Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has gained permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. And when you return, strengthen the brothers. Imagine that. This man... Peter was used to preach the most powerful message ever preached, the Pentecostal message, when 3,000 people were saved in one fell swoop. Paul did not allow himself to languish in the past. Be done with the past, all right? Be done with it. It's sinful for you and me to live in the past, whether it was good or bad or neutral. It's the past. We have now and the future. We've got to go forward in our walks with the Lord. And then, this is the real key, Paul focused on Jesus, didn't he? What does he say in Philippians 1? For to me, to live is Christ. His eyes were fixed on Jesus. As we read Hebrews 12, this is what the writer of Hebrews said. Let us throw off those things which hinder us and the sin which so easily entangles. And you know what the sin is there? A lot of scholars say, well, we can't know. But I think we do know. This is one of the problems when we think like the 11th chapter of Hebrews ends and it's just a whole new chapter with no real link to the 11th chapter. What is the 11th chapter of Hebrews about? What's the focus of the 11th chapter of Hebrews? It's about faith, isn't it? So, lack of faith. Let's get rid of that lack of faith and let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and the command, let us fix our eyes upon. That is a present tense command, which may mean nothing to you, but it should. It means don't ever take your eyes off the Lord. Our eyes are supposed to be on Jesus all the time who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, 
And the third verse says, Consider Him who suffered such hostility by sinners against Himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Look at Jesus when you are in the arena waging spiritual warfare. Understand that Jesus is with you in the arena. Everybody else may be oblivious or disinterested in what's going on with you, but the Lord Jesus Christ is not. He's there. We are called to a life of fortitude. Jesus is the ultimate finisher. He said to the Father in the high priestly prayer in John 17, He said, I have finished the work that you've given me to do. This is not when He's on the cross. He's in a place of prophecy, probably in the Garden of Gethsemane. I have finished the work you've given me to do. What was He talking about? I have poured my life into these 12 men. One has deserted me. I have poured my life into these 11 men who are still faithful. Lord, I have done what you gave me to do. Now, my hour has finally come. And then when he's on the cross, not the last thing which he said, but the next to the last thing he said. What did he say? It is finished. Jesus is a finisher. And he lives in us. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. If you're discouraged this morning about anything, take heart. Look to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. Fix your eyes on the Lord, and He will give you the strength to go forward. I close with a quick illustration in one Scripture reference. In 1968, the marathon was run in the Olympics in Mexico City, and there were 75 participants who began. Only 57 finished. That's a brutal race under any circumstances. The representative from Tanzania, his name was Stephen Nkwari. When he was at the 19th, I, don't, I think it was a kilometer, it's not quite half, it's 42 kilometers long, the 19th kilometer, he took a spill. And when he did, he dislocated his knee and hurt his shoulder badly when he fell. And the race was over, most people thought. When the race was won, the winner had already been across the winning line for over an hour. The stadium had emptied out. And all of a sudden, a little stir in the few hundred who were there began to start. And someone had noted that there's another runner out here. And it happened to be Stephen and Quarry. And somehow or another, he'd managed to get up and limp in, and he went across the finish line. A media person had caught wind of this and made his way over to the stadium, away from where the medal ceremony was taking place, and he put a microphone in front of him and said, how did you do it? Why did you do it? Knowing that you weren't going to win anyway. And this is what he said. My country sent me 5,000 miles not just to start a race, but to finish a race. That's your life and my life. The Lord has sent us here not to stop, not to quit, 
but to finish. And the way we finish is by putting our faith in the Lord in all circumstances. Paul says, this last reference, it's found in 1 Corinthians 9.24, he says, Run in such a way as to win. Do you know how we win in the walk, in the run with Christ? It's by not giving up. It's continuing to trust the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we do not want to give up. Sometimes in our hearts, everything cries out, give up, quit. You're not making a difference. You're nobody. But Lord, you're somebody. And you live in us. And we ask that you continue to give us the strength to finish strong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.